0: And it's good to remember the Lord. We continue our studies in the Gospel of Luke. And my portion for this morning is in chapter 4, um, just 13 verses, the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 4. And this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomever I will give it. If thou therefore would worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou save. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And as always, we trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have the word of God in our hands. And yet we also recognize, Lord, that this is like none other book. These are words of life. These are spiritual things, these are not just mere words of man, that these are things that cannot be understood by the flesh, and therefore we ask for thy help, that we may understand and discern the voice of God as he speaks to us this morning, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, this is a very well-known passage um, to anyone who has done maybe... religious studies at school, or maybe you are a new believer. Is one of those passages that perhaps even before we were even saved, we came across or we were taught about or we heard about them. Known as the three temptations, so to speak, um, 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 that the Lord experienced and what he went through. But I'm not so much going to dwell on those, even though we we'll talk about those three particular temptations. But what I want to bring to the forefront about these passages is let us understand what is happening here, first and foremost. All along in the previous passages, we have been told about people who were instrumental, people who were part of what would be the main event. So we have the John the Baptist, we have got Mary, we've got Elizabeth, we've got all these people who are involved that we've been told about. And, and all these, these relevant and important people, instruments of God, are leading up to the main event. You know, It's like when you go to a wedding, and you arrive at the venue, you get to meet all sorts of people, don't you? You are told, oh, this is the father of the groom, or this is the cousin of the bride, um, and this is, this is the sister of, 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 the, of the bride, and so forth, and so forth. And sometimes they even you get to know maybe some things about them. Oh, this one works at BT, and this one, and so forth. You can know all that information. And all these people are important, and they were part of what happened behind the scenes to bring about the occasion. But the main event really is not about these people. The main event is still yet to come. The main event is when, sorry to disappoint you, sisters, when the groom comes through. I know that in Western culture, it is the bride. But in Middle Eastern culture, it is the groom That is the main event. So it is when the groom then walks through the door, that becomes the main event. It's no longer about these people, these mothers, who are are important as they are. It's no longer about them. It is about that groom that is walking through the door. And as we get to chapter 4 here, This is what we are seeing all along. We have been hearing about the Lord. We have been hearing about these people. But when you get to chapter 4, we get to the main event. It is the first time that in Luke we get to see now the Lord himself coming through the door. And so this is very important. Who is this Lord? Who is he? It is very important that as we look at these Uh, Verses, we understand the issues that are at play here. Now, the very first verse tells us that the Lord was full of the Holy Ghost and was led by the Spirit. So, the very first thing that we can learn from this is that this is not a narrative of a story, this is not just a story. This is a spiritual issue. This is not just about a carpenter's son. This person we're going to deal with here now, the issues that are about him are not about him being five foot tall or being a son of a carpenter. There are big and greater issues that are at play here. This is a spiritual thing. This is more than what the eye is seeing. This is more than what the professors of the universities, when they read these verses, they see them. This is something that is much bigger that we ought to pay attention to. Now, what is in my heart, really, as we see the Lord come into the scene here? The Lord asked his disciples, Who do you think that I am? It is important that we understand as the Lord goes into the wilderness by the power of the spirit and he experiences these temptations from the devil, it is important that we understand certain fundamental issues of scripture. Like I said, it's a well-known passage. Now, if you are reading for the first time these temptations, by the time you get to the end, as a new believer, let's say you are reading it for the first time, by the time you get to the end, what, what do you get from it? Do you say, I am glad the Lord overcame those temptations. Do you think it's a few moments that the Lord overcame these temptations? I'll submit to you that No. It's not a few moment. Because we have to understand that this person that is walking through the door, this groom that we're talking about here, this man who is the man of the event is not like you and me. It, there is not a possibility, let me put it this way, there is not a possibility that the Lord could have succumbed to these temptations. We have to understand that. So it's not like, let's wait and see what is going to happen. It is not. You and I, when we go through temptations, we struggle. And the outcome, sometimes we don't know what it's going to be like. Sometimes we prevail, sometimes we don't. But this is not the case. As we talk about the Lord, the Lord and these temptations, this is not the case. There is no possibility that the Lord could have succumbed to these temptations. But scripture does tell us that indeed for the word of God is Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And this is what then says in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The Lord is to experience these things because you and I, when we experience these things, we stumble, we fumble, and the outcome sometimes is mixed but he is going to go through what you and I experience. But because he is unique, with a certainty that he will overcome. The reason I emphasize this is because there are things that are promised to us that are not yet come to pass, that are still in the future. Do you believe that eventually the Lord is going to destroy the enemy with the sword of his mouth? Is there a possibility that the outcome of that battle maybe the Lord might lose? Is there a possibility that maybe we will, God is going to change his mind We will not end up with God. Is there a possibility that God is going to run out of space to accommodate the tens of millions and thousands to wherever he's going to put up? The reason I say this is we have to understand that the things of God are certain. And as we deal, as we go through the the gospel about Christ, we should understand that the person that we're talking about here is somebody who is like none other, is somebody who was who to commit and to perform and fulfill a function that we cannot fulfill, so that when we trust him, we can trust him totally, implicitly, and with everything, with the assurance of the fact that he is not like you and me. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 8. And this is what Romans chapter 8 says uh, in verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law was given to to, 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 to us, was given to man. But it could not do, it could not fulfill those things in the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. What does this verse speak to me? One of the biggest enemies that we have as Christians is the flesh, isn't it? The flesh is constantly warring against us and sometimes can even get the better of us. When you read across scripture, you find that scripture does not comment, does not have a lot of good things to say about the flesh. God is not going to improve this body. He is done with. This body... It is done with. God is going to give us brand new bodies. Because this, there is nothing good that is in this body. But in the person, in the flesh, God manifests in flesh in the person of the Lord. We see a different dynamic here. We see the uniqueness of the fact that that which we could not do in the flesh the Son of God then enters into the sin of time, into the domain and the strongholds of the enemy, where he is strongest. And he defeats him. We can't. But he can. He then goes further. As you go to the end of the Gospels, he then dies. He goes to the very domain of the strength of the enemy. Death. Why is there death? It's because of sin. And Christ goes to the very domain of that, and he defeats him. Now, let us go back to the passage. I know I digressed here a little bit. But now as we see Christ being led by the Spirit, let us look at these three temptations. And bearing in mind that he is now in the domain of the enemy, but without the possibility of ever failing. And this is what we see. So the first thing that we see here is that he is in the wilderness. Now, I don't know in your life if you have ever been in a wilderness. Wilderness speaks of barrenness, absolute nothingness. When life throws a spanner into your life, and leaves you in the wilderness where you can hold on to nothing. You look to the left, you look to the right, you look before you, you look behind you, you don't know where to go. You can't tell which is north, you can't tell which is south. What does the enemy do? He pounces. One thing we should know is that the enemy is a merciless merciless foe. He may do things that may seem like they are kind. They may seem like they are good. It means you know good. From the outside, looking at this, the Lord is hungry. It seems legitimate that He should eat, isn't it? But we should be aware because when we in that moment of vulnerability that is when the enemy comes mercilessly but how does the lord deal with these things Now sometimes when I say these things, to be honest with you, I am saying them because I know they are the truth of the word of God. But can I tell you, can I say to you that these are truly the way that I myself have mastered? No. I can't claim that. I can't make that claim. But what I can tell you is that Scripture tells us that the only way we can fight these things, it is not because of experience. It is not because of our craftiness. The only way we can deal with circumstances like this, we better know what God says. My barrenness is not your barrenness. My wilderness is not your wilderness. Yours is going to be its own form in its own way that you are vulnerable to. But what is certain is that God has said something about it. To me, it's one thing. But to you, do you know what God says in your wilderness? The second temptation, the devil takes the Lord to the mountain and he shows him all the kingdom of the world. What does that speak unto us? The devil says to the Lord, all this power will I give to thee and the glory of it. if thou will worship me. Now, if you go back to Malachi, you'll find that actually Christ is going to have all these things. Malachi chapter 3. He is going to have all these things. You can read very quickly here. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. We know, we've read about that in the previous passages. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to the temple. So that's the wrong passage, I think. I think the passage that I'm looking for is actually in Revelations. I think it's chapter 11. If I get this right. Yeah. Revelations chapter 11. And this is what Scripture tells us. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. But now the devil was going to show the Lord the kingdoms, which would ultimately be the Lord's kingdom. And he's trying to shortcut God's plan by seeming to offer a better alternative to say, you don't have to wait. You can actually have this right now. What the devil is aware of is that there is a cross that is in between Christ and the kingdom to come. He has to go through the cross. God's plan was that he will not shortcut these things. The Christ of God will have to go through these things. But the devil comes and says, I've got a better idea. Did he say you will die? Really? No, 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 no. You will not die. Actually, you will be like gods. Shortcut this. You don't have to wait. You can shortcut this. You can get what you want right now. We are in the world of the now and now. I want it now. One of the challenges that I work in my workplace is that people can't get off their phones. When you are in a meeting and then people are phoning, it's as if, it's, if they don't pick up that phone, it's the end of the world. But when you think about it, before 2000, we didn't have these things. And the World spun on its axis. The sun rose and the sun set. We still ate and slept. No problem. Nobody died. And before that, people were even sending messages by horses. And the world just spun faithfully around the sun. But now if a phone rings, I must have it now. I can't wait. One of the Maybe take away messages on this is that patience is a virtue. We've been told this before. Patience is a virtue. Now, like I said, I say these things not because I've mastered these things myself, but because this is the word of God. And these are lessons that we can take for us. The enemy was saying, You can have it now. But God had already said, These kingdoms, they have become the kingdoms of our God in Christ. It's going to happen. Again, how does the Lord know these things? Know the word of God. And it says, It is written. The third one which is the one that I was referring to in Malachi my apologies for that the devil takes the Lord to the pinnacle of the temple now at this point what the devil is suggesting here is how can you make a great entrance how can you How can you impress everyone so that everybody, you don't have to struggle having followers. Make a grand entrance. Make a big show off. Throw yourself off the temple. Just imagine all these people when they see you and then all of a sudden you just glide yourself to the ground. Imagine how impressive that would be. After all, you are the Son of God. Remember? Fame is a big danger to all of us. We can be so easily taken away in the pomp of the moment to want to show ourselves or to show a name for ourselves in ways that otherwise humbleness and simplicity would be the choice that God prefers for us. Making great names for ourselves is a danger. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't make Christian, um, doesn't uplift Christians and make great names of them. God can do that. God can do that. Here we are in 2023. There are Christians now in Africa and Asia, Europe, everywhere, and He didn't lift even a single sword. The name of the Lord. Maybe not in the West, but in all other places of the world, is revered. And he didn't fight a single war. His name is big. But he didn't push himself, he had to go with God's program. How did you know that? It is written if we don't know the word of God, myself included, we will pay prices that we otherwise should not pray. Now by the time we end, we come to the end of these temptations, we are not glad that the Lord overcame the temptations. We know that there is no temptation that can prevail against the Lord. We are not thinking that he made it by the skin of his teeth. No. The devil stood, not 0.1%, he stood no chance at all this is the Lord that we're now going to study going forward. If you go to Mark, Mark chapter 12, at the end of Mark chapter 11, the Lord deals, he deals systematically with the establishment establishment of really religious class. You know, in, at the end of chapter, chapter 11, he deals with, with, with the scribes and the priests and the elders, you know, when they ask him about what authority you do, you you. you you do these things, and then by the time you get to chapter twelve, I think it's verse thirteen, uh, he deals with the, with the with the with the with the with the Pharisees, and then he dismantles them, and then by the time you get to uh, I think verse eighteen, he then he then deals he deals with the, uh, her, her, um, the the Herodians and so forth, and then as people observe these things, uh, it was the Sadducees actually in chapter in verse, in verse eighteen about about the resurrection. And as people observe the Lord, people are observing these things. As people observe how the Lord is systematically dismantling these religious authorities, one of them ends up saying, coming to the forefront. And because he notices that the way the Lord responds to these questions is not the way that an ordinary person responds. He acknowledges that this is a special human being. And this one scribe steps forward. He watched his friends in chapter 11 getting dismantled. And then he realizes that I can't keep this to myself. And he steps forward and he asks the Lord a personal question. And the Lord answers him very eloquently. And as people marvel at all these things, scripture says at the end of that interaction that no man asketh him any question. Why? He spake like no other man. In fact, when you go further towards the end, he asks them a question and he calls them some 110. And he says to them, who do you think this Christ is? If David, Mary had already called him my savior as a baby. But if, if David, speaking of this Christ, calls him my Lord, Then how can he be? How can a child be greater than the father? Who is he? He posed that question to the crowd. And they were left speechless. So we are going to be going through these passages and looking at somebody who is like none other. And we are going to learn a lot of things about this person. He is the center of what we'll be talking about. And he is not like you and me. He is unique. Let's pay attention because he has a lot to teach us. Let us pray. Lord, we, in simple words and fumbling speech, Lord, we try to speak the things.